Hello and welcome to another edition of Stats War Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. Um, you'll notice first off the bat, there is no intro music. Um, it's not that we're making a change. It's nothing other than the fact that my computer completely exploded this week. And so I am working off of my wife's computer. Um, also, funnily, it took me and Grant about seven times to try and get our recording started and synced up and everything. So a little bit of technical difficulties this week. Apologize for that. But um wanted to get a Baylor preview out to you guys this week. Um, the number 18 and SP plus Baylor Bears come into Fort Worth to play the number 30 SP plus TCU Horn Frogs. Um, Baylor is now favored by the Vegas line and favored by SP plus by um, over five points. So Grant and I get into the details and talk a lot about what might happen this weekend and what TCU might be able to do to win and who you might look for on the field to kind of decide those important matchups. Um, so that's happening as Saturday. I do want to take a minute here and talk uh, a little bit about TCU basketball because TCU basketball is starting on Thursday and uh, there's some really interesting stuff going on with that. First off, there's the Ohio State transfer uh, whose last name is Leedy who plays in the front court. I believe he's a Ford, but he's uh, he's 6'9 or 6'10. And he um, is potentially getting a waiver from the NCAA. Um, that is a, a little bit closer to happening than we than we thought. And so that would be a huge addition to the TCU basketball team. So I say that because I'm super interested in um, the fact that everyone in the world has picked TCU basketball to finish last. So I wrote um, a 2100 word preview about TCU's basketball team. And I argue that uh, Jamie Dixon's kind of in a year zero, you know, the final Trent Johnson fingerprints are wiped off the program. And um, I think that Dixon flirted with the only job that he would have taken outside of TCU. And so he's here and now he has a lot of turnover and there's a lot of young guys. So I think this TCU basketball team is going to be fun. It's going to be young and it's going to be erratic as hell. So go check that out um, over on Frogs of War. Um, I put a little bit of time into it and uh, I think it's a good kind of kick off the season piece. Um, other than that, make sure you're following me at Stats of War. On Twitter, it's the best place to interact. We'll be posting charts and graphs. And other than that, enjoy the podcast. Yeah, Parker, it's uh, it's been a wild week, man. I feel like that is, at best, uh, an understatement. It's Wednesday. Grant and I are here again on the Stats War podcast. And, man, there's been a, a roller coaster of a few days to talk about, uh, starting with, uh, of course, TCU's loss in Stillwater, TCU's frustrating loss in Stillwater, I might say, and then a couple of events uh, hereafter that have been of note. So again, we don't do the journalism, Grant, but why don't you catch us up just kind of Sunday morning to now, and then we'll go back to Saturday and break that down in detail. What's happening with TCU football right now? Right. So I think Sunday we all kind of saw rumors, um, message boards, things like that, uh, that Alex Dalton was um, potentially leaving the team. Um, I I hadn't heard anything, and I, I... Try to do a little bit of investigating. You couldn't find anything, but um, those are kind of the rumors. So Monday on the coaches' conference call, um, Patterson didn't give any updates on the status of Max Duggan or Michael Collins. Um, he said he expected uh, one of them to practice this week. Did not say who. Uh, he said he'd have more uh, updates on Tuesday. Uh, cut to Tuesday at the press conference. Patterson opens up by saying. Um, that Collins will probably not play. Uh, that Duggins might, or excuse me, that Duggan might play, uh, and then without asking, launches into um, Alex Dutton leaving the team. Um, 
said that he uh, had decided to drop out. Uh, uh, for, for, excuse me, drop away from the team. I don't think he dropped out of college or anything. He just stepped away from football. Um, that Patterson wishes him well. Uh, that he wishes he had stayed on the team, still thinks highly of him, but that he is not going to be a, uh, a Horn Frog football player going forward. Um, leaving TCU with perhaps the thinnest quarterback room of any school in the Big 12. Which seems a little bit like some cosmic irony that we started this season with what it felt like an abundance of, of similar TCU or similar with quarterback six. options. With six quarterbacks. And we have... Um, we have none. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how that resolves itself. Of course, like we've said all along, Alex Delton, great guy, um, good team leader, really, really like him. And so whatever is best for that kid, um, I endorse it. I certainly can't speak in the circumstances and have no desire to. But um, unfortunate, you know, we liked him and, and he played a good role in this team, even if that role wasn't um, necessarily on the field. For sure. Um, moving forward, I, I think kind of... Jamie and Melissa talked about this on the uh, on the Frogs of War podcast, but um, that does leave TCU again very thin. Duggan might play; he might not. It's a finger injury. We know that. Um, maybe he'll practice. Uh, Patterson said he will probably play. I don't know what that means in Patterson's mind, or what that means when he says it to a assembled group of media. Um, but if he, if Duggan isn't available to go, then it'll be Michael Downing who is a redshirt freshman transfer from Georgia, brother of uh, former TCU, excuse me, yeah, Matthew Downing, former, uh, or brother of former TCU player Michael Downing. Um, And then Matthew Baldwin, who is a transfer from Ohio State that was cleared to play in September by the NCAA and medically cleared to play this week. Uh, So not a whole lot of great options, Parker. Yeah, and and, and, um, we'll get into the, the Baylor matchup for sure, but recall, I think last year, right, Michael Collins started the Baylor game and went out with that heel or Achilles injury, maybe the second yep. or third drive. Um, and so yep, even, and, even and didn't play the rest of the year. Yeah. Um, even, even some of that um, quarterback instability is, is something familiar to TCU in November. Um, and so it's uh, interesting to see that we are here yet again. Um, okay. Stepping aside from the drama, if you're more interested in that, Jamie and Melissa talked a lot about it. There's been stuff written on the internet. You should go, Seek that out. We're gonna we're gonna stick to the field. Um, TCU did not have a great game in Stillwater. Um, they got down early. They came back and then they decided to stay down and just kind of floundered in the second half, going scoreless on seven of eight drives in route to what turned out to be a seven point loss, um, but was probably not as not as close as that. So, Grant, talk to me about the Frogs weekend in Stillwater. Yeah, it, it, it really just came down to big plays, um, both on offense and defense for Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State had, I'm trying to remember the exact stat, I'm trying to look it up, but over 300 uh, yards for Oklahoma State came on just six plays. Uh, Chuba Hubbard had a 92-yard touchdown run and a 62-yard touchdown run. Both of those came in the second half. Uh, and then on defense uh, for Oklahoma State and on offense for TCU, John Stevens fumble. Not to put blame on a kid or anything like that, but I'm just saying it was a big play. Um, his fumble on the first drive of the second half when TCU was moving the ball really stopped a good-looking drive from the Horn Frogs uh, and gave Oklahoma State the ball back. Um, so just a few lapses in defense. Patterson attributed those to tackling. Um, and then a, a few mistakes. Obviously, you can't overlook Duggan's three interceptions. Two of them were just really, really bad decisions. They can chalk one up to a bad throw, but... Um, he was bound to have freshman mistakes, and, and, and those are 
bound to be interceptions when you let him have a little bit more free reign in the offense. Um, and that's kind of what happened. Yeah, I'll note uh, TCU outside of those two monstrous carries, which both happened, you know, deep in deep in Oklahoma State territory. Chuba Hubbard was held to three point eight yards per carry. So outside of two plays, he was really, really not effective. But you have to count those two plays. So um, right. really was was kind of the dagger there. That was a little bit disappointing. Um, yeah, as for as let's talk about the offense and let's talk about the Duggan interceptions because I think uh, you know Patterson mentioned you know potentially holding or receiver not getting there on two of them. Um, that's fine. And then two kind of forcing it interceptions. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um, what I, what I'm most unhappy with about the offense, because we're back to being mad about the offense again, is that it was bad. Uh, and then they decided to be better and they were better for a little bit. And then they abandoned that in the second half. Um, so specifically I'm thinking of a drive, two drives in the, uh, second quarter where TCU marched the ball down the field, looking entirely different than they have honestly season to date and at all at any other point in that game. So a little bit frustrating to see that TCU had a game plan that kind of worked against Oklahoma state, but necessarily didn't necessarily employ that game plan uh, all the time. So what were they doing on those drives? So um, I went back and watched a bunch of that. That first drive was awesome. Um, That first drive specifically was all about, um, just kind of diversity, which again, I'm all about run run smarter, right? Um, and on that, they were running arc and jet motion. So we saw two different motion concepts. That's something that we really, really don't see a lot from TCU. Um, and then we saw a bunch of uh, one of my favorite plays today, which is uh, to date this season, which is Pro Wells um, crossing over the middle. Um, and then a big, a big Tay Barber um pass that kind of stretched the defense out once you had been back and forth and back and forth. Uh, and then in the red zone, they, they did some kind of infuriating things. They, you know, ran, ran the ball to Shea twice and then ran it, called a timeout and then came back out and ran the exact same play, which is a little weird, but the next play they run sprint option to the left, which is a play that we have not seen all season and they scored. So there was some innovation there, which is really great. The next drive, again, more of that mid range passing game, less of that passing on first and second downs. So I believe they passed on six of eight first and second downs between those two drives. Um, and I think that's really, really important to kind of, one, get Duggan some confidence, make, give him some manageable throws, but also put your running game in a, in a position where you can punish the defense for overcommitting to the pass. I agree. I, I think you highlighted two things that stuck out, and we were texting about one of them. Um, Pro Wells really has developed... To, uh, into a weapon over the middle. That, cro- that Crowell's um, cross is lethal. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it is. It is. He he got a post um, touchdown. You know, on, on mm-hmm. that route uh, against Texas, um, same thing against Oklahoma State, and then that sprint option to the left. Moving forward for TCU, I don't. I mean, whether it's later this year if Duggan's healthy, or next year if he's the quarterback, and it's with Demarcus Foster or um, Amari Di Mercado or Darwin Barlow or whoever. Sitting up in the press box and Stillwater, I, I I wish I had proof of this because I certainly don't. And you can you can think that I'm lying. I don't care. Watching them line up, I thought this would be a great spot for a sprint option. And then they ran it, and it was beautiful. And with Duggan being a running quarterback and smart enough to pitch when he needs to, but gutsy enough to take some hits and dive in, like they should run that play more. They should give him the power to decide when to run the ball, when to pitch it out to a very good running back. TCU does have a good stable of running backs and will moving forward for the next few seasons. So 
Why we haven't seen that in the red zone, I'm not real sure, but boy, I'd like to see it some more. Yeah, that, so that makes me think about a couple things. Can I um, ask a sidetrack question? Uh, Demarcado, yes. what's what's his deal? I, I mean, we haven't we seen him at all. I don't know anything about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't necessarily know. I mean, I think TCU hasn't run the ball. I mean, you can tell me if I'm wrong. It doesn't feel like TCU's run the ball as much as they have in the first few games. Um, so maybe they're just giving Anderson and Shaywo those reps. I don't know. But he's not um, he's not like returning punts or anything. Could could he feasibly redshirt yeah. this season and come back? Because he's he's JUCO, so he has uh, two years, and this yeah, is his second a great year. Question. We can because yeah. um, I'm interested because like last year, you know, he was he was involved in so many facets of the game. He um, anytime TCU had a lead, he came in and took meaningful reps as the the backup running back. But then also he was returning punts and everything and. Um, he was just a really a really solid third option. I know there's a couple freshmen behind him who potentially could be taking those reps, but it's weird to see that he's just vanished with it without an injury. So I wasn't sure if we were stashing him because we have healthy sure. healthy Darius and healthy Shayla. Well, I I don't know if he's hurt, um, but he has only played four games this season. Um, he hasn't played since the Kansas game. Interesting. So he does have the option for a redshirt. You get four games. Interesting. That'd be so. That that could be the. I don't know if that's what they're doing, but that could be kind of nice with the the two. You know, the two going to be going to be redshirt freshman running backs next year to have kind of an older guy in the stable and 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 he had some moments last year where he can move. I mean, he's a good running back. So he can. He's he's a very good running back. Again, I'm high on him, Barlow and Foster. I think they're all going to be outstanding. Yeah, which is great because I mean, you know, if you just want to establish a run, that's kind of what you're looking. for. Well, so I'm going to bruise right past that and go back to um, last year. I called out a specific. Michael Collins red zone touchdown play um, which was maybe the most elegant running play TCU ran all last year and it was um, oh my gosh I feel like an idiot because now I can't think of what it is but I'm going to describe the play all the same but it was kind of that like zone zone sweep to the right except Collins mm-hmm. took a step back and just flipped it to Darius Anderson who was behind him so they were in pistol with a running back next to the quarterback he fakes the fakes the sweep steps back, pitches it to Darius Anderson, and he just walks in. And so that kind of goal line goal line weirdness, kind of Swiss RV knife, a lot of moving parts, is really interesting to see, and we've seen signs of that, um, but not any, not any really consistency there outside of uh, running the wild frog. But so it was nice to see them kind of move things, move things along there. Yeah, and I, I'm not going to comment on any... I don't mean this as an overarching comment on the coaching staff. Say it. I, what I mean to say is, <laughs> what, what I mean to say is, like you said, TCU does have a lot of really interesting plays in their arsenal, and when they bring them out, they look really, really good. Like they do have the ability to do those things. It's just puzzling that they don't do it more. Maybe it's because they need, you know, the novelty of the wild frog and only breaking out in certain scenarios, or that same type of you know sprint option or the the pistol kind of flip you were talking about. I don't know if they're just one-offs, and maybe defense learn from that. Uh, defenses learn from that, but they can do it. Like we've seen them do it. Yeah, you know? and, and you'd hope again. We we haven't had a, a QB development cycle in a couple of years, right? We had Kenny Hill, who Correct. was what he was. Correct. We had John Robinson, who is redshirt freshman. We had, um, and we have Max Duggan, who's a who's a true freshman here. And so you know, I, during the Texas after the Texas game, I kind of played: is this an RPO? Um, on, a, on a couple mm-hmm. plays, and notice that TCU is not really running RPOs, but they're running RPO-ish plays. And so hopefully you could be charitable and say, like, in the progression of Duggan, they're building up these plays where, you know, he's, he's doing a zone read and then, and then mimicking the tag to the bubble screen, 
as kind of a plaything, right. but also building up the, hey, this is how you make those reads in live games. And so that sprint option is cool because perhaps that's introducing that. He could be really lethal with that, especially if there was a passing component. Um, you think about offenses. I watched uh, Tulane Tulsa last week, which oh. was a fun, ah, oh, gosh, just watch more Tulane football. They're not good, but they're awesome. Um, and they just had a quarterback who would, like, do the zone read, or excuse me, do the, do the sprint option, fake the pitch, and then come up and just pass it over people's heads. Like, it was just it was just really, really smart and really, really fun. And so you think, you know, Duggan has legs. He has he has possibility to do that. So he does. Good, two good drives in the Oklahoma State game, and then not a lot of good, you know, sloppy play, um, some penalties, some overthrown balls. I'll put that on Duggan. That's fine. He's a freshman. I'm not criticizing him as a person. There's a couple plays where, like, if he hits a receiver in stride, it's a touchdown, and he, he threw it a little high. I think about that Rager play where he suplexed himself to get the ball. Yeah, yeah. He, that should have been a touchdown, and TC wound up getting points mm-hmm. on that drive anyway, but that should have yeah. been a touchdown. Yeah. Like, if that's a better throw, he's gone. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you see some of that, but this, again, it comes back to TCU now has three very winnable games on their schedule that came up in losses because the Frogs just got into a hole in the first quarter and then couldn't do anything with it in the, in the second half to kind of overcome that, which is real frustrating. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and now staring down the barrel of bowl eligibility, I mean, it's, you have to win a game against Baylor Tech, West Virginia, you had to get two of those three because you're not, they're not going to beat Oklahoma. Um, and, boy, Parker, that sounds really hard. Do moment. you feel good about going into Lubbock with bowl eligibility on the line? I don't – I never feel good about yeah, going to Lubbock. No, no one feels good about going to Lubbock ever. Um, yeah, so that, that makes me very nervous um, because, yeah, I just I – don't, I, don't, I don't know. Um, I do wish that we had the, the, the box score um, – for this game, the advanced stats box score, um, just because I'm interested to see kind of that post game win probability. Because again, I think this game was was a little a little not as close as the score showed. Which yeah. you'd love to take advantage at of half, those. At half, when it was seventeen seventeen, I turned to I think Drew Davidson and the Star Telegram was beside me, and I was like, I have no idea how TCU is tied in this game. Yep. Like it, TCU should have been down seventeen three. Should have been down twenty four ten at the half. And like you said, just wasted an opportunity of getting away with some mistakes in the first half. Getting away with letting Spencer Sanders, I think he had seventy three rushing yards in the first quarter as a quarterback, and letting that happen and still being tied at the half. That should have been a game TCU won, um, and they didn't. And yep. here we are. Can I? So can I read you a couple numbers real quick? Because I'll transition to this Please. before we get into the Baylor game. Um, TCU, EPA by period, in the first quarter, negative .085. In the second quarter, positive .084. In the third quarter, negative .025. In the fourth quarter, positive .039. Why can TCU only play well in even-numbered quarters, Grant? The stats, the stats tell you that. I don't understand what's happening there. Because... If you were going to talk about how well-coached a bad team is, a lot of people would look to first quarter and third quarter, right? So you have a good game plan, and then you get out-talented, then you make some adjustments at half, and you come out and you're feisty. TCU is the inverse of that, and I don't understand why. Uh, yeah, and I'm trying to think what that means, because I don't... I, I Honestly, I don't think that means they're a badly coached team. Right, right, right. I, I just don't know what... 
what that means. <laughs> like, I have no way to interpret that. I as. think it means that they're they're unidimensional, but we've seen they have some drastically different drive behavior. So again, you come back to kind of like guiding philosophy and potentially some, and I don't mean tension in the sense of Gary yelling people at the yelling at people on the sidelines, although that's happening a little bit. I mean more tension in the in the philosophy of like we should do what we want to do and then do the thing we don't want to do when we're behind, even though the thing we mm-hmm. don't want to do is actually probably putting us up. So, um, yeah, I, I did a little bit this week playing around with the idea of game states. Um, soccer does that a lot where it's kind of like, are you up? Are you down? How much time is left? And I just looked at um, kind of a negative game, stri- game script versus a neutral game script. And so I said negative game strip script was you're down by two scores. So um, you're down by more than eight points. And that means you're having to play catch up. Um, neutral means you're you're within one score, uh, plus or minus, either way. And so, kind of saying you you scored and they have the ball the next drive, or you're kind of you could you could tie the game on on one play. And so TCU, um, their EPA in negative game scores is plus point zero six nine, which one nice, sure, there you go, internet. Mm-hmm. Two mm-hmm. positive EPA, they're passing fifty six point nine percent of the time. In neutral game skip game scripts, their EPA is negative point zero five eight, so more than a full point swing, and they're only passing forty three point eight percent of the time. That's not on early downs. That's that's everything total. Um, and so you just see this dramatically different, dramatically different behavior in negative game scripts. Which I know football people, yes, when you're behind, you have to pass the ball more. But clearly, when TC's offense is passing the ball more, they're Yards per play are higher on rush. Their yards per play on pass are higher, and, and of course, overall. And so it's just really frustrating to see the potential of this offense not be realized for potentially schematic reasons. For sure. I think, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to argue with you. Right. I, I think you're exactly right. Um, I think Duggan made some mistakes in that game that probably, I mean, in the moment when you're trying to win a football game, I think, you know, throwing a really bad interception, throwing another interception, throwing another really bad interception probably doesn't look that great for the coaching staff. And in the moment, I could see how they're saying, look, if we're going to turn the ball over passing, we might as well just run the ball. Um, but what if you're... I'm not saying that's an excuse. I'm just saying I think it's a... it's it's it's. Right. I, I, I don't know. But Parker, let's, I mean, let's I, talk I, about I expected right. value for a second, right? Like, am I would I rather burn... I'm not, look, okay, all right, let's, before I galaxy, I'm playing devil's advocate, I don't have a good answer. Before I galaxy, before I galaxy brain this, I want to say, obviously turnovers are bad, and you would prefer to not have a turnover. I'm going to say, if you're going to run the ball on first and ten and second and ten, and put your freshman quarterback in a situation to pass on third and seven every time, and then punt. Fair. An interception isn't that bad, it's bad, but it's not that bad compared to that outcome, which is what you're doing most of the time. Right, and, and here's the thing, and, and I think we should tie this into a point you've made a lot and I agree with. I think, it's funny, some of those interceptions were arm punts. I mean, they were 50 yards down the field. And I think that kind of goes back to something that you've touched on and harped on this season, which is a lot of times the passing game for TCU is either a go-route or a screen, and there's no in-between. Whereas when TCU does run in-between routes, when it's, Pro Wells on that crossing route, or you know Rager on a comeback, or whatever, they have success. Um, and like you said, if if those go routes are low percentage and they don't happen on first or second, or, and they're not completed, then it's third and seven, 
and those are not favorable favorable conditions for a freshman quarterback. Right. Um, and so and so that's that's just really tough and it's annoying. And you know we can harp on this. And again, we, I don't know the X's and O's as well as people do, but there's a ton of resources online. It's really frustrating to watch a bunch of innovative offenses basically try the same kinds of passes. So like longer. Um, well, that was really dumb. That's how much I don't know X and O's. But like they're trying to go route or something, right? But instead of just doing a go route, they're like doing a hitch with one guy to kind of effectively set a screen without getting called for set a screen and then having a guy do a slant and a go and seeing these just mm-hmm. in like, there are ways that you can say, Hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to throw screens and we're going to go, we're going to go deep. There's ways to do that that are even more creative and that could potentially free up your, free up your freshman quarterback to make those throws with a little bit more of an advantage. So um, I could talk about this for, for 10 years and, and probably still will, but let's go ahead and take a break um let's tie let's tie the knot on a uh on a gross weekend in Stillwater and we'll take a break and come back and then talk about the Baylor matchup let's do it Grant, this weekend, the uh, number 15 Baylor Bears, according to SP+, Plus, are 8-0, and they are coming in to Fort Worth, Texas, to face the number 30 TCU Horned Frogs. Baylor is 24th on offense, 15th on defense. TCU is now 42nd on offense, and 35th on defense. SP+, Plus has this on a neutral field as Baylor by about 8 Point one points. So on a home field advantage, expect to see a margin of about five for SP+. Plus. I haven't looked at Bill's picks to see. Um, but this looks like the strongest Baylor team that we have seen potentially since 2014 and by the numbers, maybe even before then. So um, Grant, big game for TCU. Question here is, is this a bigger game for Baylor? I think it might be, um, especially with TCU riding a four-game win streak in the rivalry. Um, but yes, this is one of those games that Baylor needs to win um, in order to kind of justify themselves as an undefeated team. Um, I have an issue with that thought process, though. So obviously, Baylor still hasn't played Oklahoma, and they still haven't played Texas. Their non-conference schedule was Stephen F. Austin, UTSA, and Rice, and they only beat Rice 21-13. to But... The meat of the Big 12 is pretty good. I mean, Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, um, even TCU. Um, so Baylor's taking care of business against Iowa State. Um, they nearly gave that game away, but they won. They beat the crap out of Kansas State 31-12, to uh, and then they beat Oklahoma State 45-27. to So, yeah, they haven't played Oklahoma and they haven't played Texas yet, but this is a very good Baylor team that has taken care of business in a lot of different ways against teams that play a variety of styles. So personally for me, I, I'm very high on the Baylor Bears right now. I think Matt Rule's a great coach. We don't need to get into that, but I, I think he's a really good dude. Um, and I, 
I know S and P or excuse me, SP plus has this as about a five point game, but I, I really think Baylor is is clearly the better team here. Definitely, and and I think it's fair to say that without any kind of referendum on what's going to happen on the game because rivalry game and you know each game that a team plays is is a draw from a distribution and, and the distribution is definitely skewed in Baylor's favor, but it is not. Uh, you know, we got to play the games. So, well, Parker, I mean, you know what to say. You can throw out the record books, and these these two teams get together. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? True. You know that what I'm is saying? true. Just like they say on NCAA 14. Um, <laughs> hilarious. So, yeah, um, I, I mean, I the first, the one Baylor game I have watched this entire season was fortunately the disaster of a game of West Virginia versus <laughs> Baylor on Thursday night. Yeah. Baylor was, of course, playing without their starting left tackle, who's, who's a really good guy. His first name is Connor. I will not, I will not remember his last name for the life of me. Um, but it was evident that they didn't have their full line ready to go. That's going to be the case this weekend. He is um, their, their starting left tackle is going to be on the depth chart. He's going to be second. He's going to rotate in. Also, Baylor is, um, from what I've heard, evidently trying to finagle red shirts with their linemen, which, smart, play, play the game. Um, and so that has limited them a little bit, especially in the West Virginia game. They sat some guys to try and retain some eligibility, and it exposed some holes. But, um, yeah, that, that Baylor-West Virginia game kind of showed what, what bad Baylor looks like, which we haven't seen all season because they've, they've you know taken care of business aside from that fourth quarter against Iowa State, um, definitely. Charlie Brewer as a quarterback has grown a lot, um, and it's interesting to see kind of his his – Trajectory and Sam Ellinger's trajectory are surprisingly similar when you think about it. And TCU had some good success against Sam Ellinger, but also has really, really struggled against him uh, uh, last year as as well. So um, let's talk about the offensive side of the ball. What does Baylor bring to the table with, with this 24th ranked SP plus offense? Yeah, so you mentioned Brewer. Um another dual threat guy. Um, it, it's funny, actually, you know, he is, he is a dual threat quarterback, but really only in short yardage, excuse me, short yardage situations and really only in the red zone. Um, looking at his stats, he has, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, six touchdowns this year, but his longest run was 25 yards. That was against Rice for a touchdown, but he's only averaging 2.1 yards per carry. Um, so he is kind of a short yardage guy. He's, he's tough. He'll run, but He's really deadly in the red zone. That's kind of where he makes his hay running the ball. Um, Denzel Mims is the, the star at wide receiver. He's a senior. He's extremely good. Tyquan Thornton actually leads the team in um, yards per reception with a little over 19. And then you look at the running backs, and they have three guys that can all run the ball. Um, Jermichael Hasty, uh, Tristan Ebner, and John Lovett. Lovett's probably the, the, the guy that's going to put up the, the, the highest number of counting stats this year. Uh, and Ebner's a really, really good um, receiving running back. He has a great pair of hands out of the backfield, uh, and Hasty's kind of the big play threat, kind of their home run hitter from the running back position. So it's just a really, really well-rounded offense, and that's kind of how the whole Baylor team is. They just don't have one position where you say, "Oh, that's a weakness." They they really just kind of solid all the way through. Definitely, and um, the you know the more advanced stats kind of kind of bear that out. Baylor is. Um, Passing, 46.8% of the time on, on early downs. So they're appropriately aggressive, but they're still kind of penalizing you with the run. Their EPA on pass is .207, so positive about a, a fifth of a point, which would put them one, two, three, third in the Big 12. Um, what's interesting to me, though, is their rush game is slightly negative, and when you adjust for sacks, 
They're only rushing for 5.46 yards per carry. That's only on first and second downs, mind you. Um, and so showing that 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 if they if they're rushing on first and second downs, they're potentially getting off schedule. And um, that is an interesting kind of inflection point or conflict point for me because TCU has been the third best team in the Big 12 against the rush in terms of EPA on defense. And so, again, Baylor's weakness and TCU's strength, you could kind of highlight what um, a potential opportunity for TCU to shut down one faster of the game, which they did against Texas, and then make Baylor beat you being one-dimensional, which becomes a lot harder. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I just think that uh, Brewer's going to be the X factor. I, I mean, it, TCU shut him down last year. Um, you know, what was the game? 16-9, to nine, is that right? Uh, but he, he can beat you. And, and Patterson respects him. The defense respects him. Um, it's going to come down to can TCU stop Charlie Brewer, whether that's with, you know, whether that's through the air or on the ground. Um, but, but that's what this game's about, it, it, and that's really been the story for TCU all year. It's could they stop Spencer Sanders last week? Um, Chuba Hubbard was going to have long runs, but Sanders had seven three rushing yards in the first half. Found Dylan Stunner for two touchdowns. Um, could they stop Skylar Thompson? Not really. Could they stop Brock Purdy? Not really. Could they stop Sam Ellinger? Yeah. And so TCU won that game. So it's going to be, can they stop Charlie Brewer? Right. And, um, and it's kind of one of those weird things. You know, you think about uh, uh, in, in basketball, often teams will say, we're going to let this guy get his, and then right. we're going to defend everyone else. And TCU's defense works a little bit like that. I think the basketball analogy with the four-two-five really does hold up. But um, the times when TCU gets punished is when they let Spencer Sanders, you know, get his, and then don't stop Chuba Hubbard and just get murdered. Mm-hmm. Or they let um, James Proche get his, and they don't stop Robbie Robert Roberson, uh, or good Lord, Kylan Granson, that tight end for SMU is, uh, lights out this year. Still haunts your dude. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's great. (laughs) But so, I mean that, that really the, the multiplicity, if you can get TCU, um, focused on one guy and then punish them somewhere else, that's where it's going to hurt. As opposed to if TCU can shut down one facet of your game, you're, you're going to get hung out to drop. For sure. Um, yeah. So I, I like to make these, uh, kind of charts that look at offensive tendencies and rank them nationally just based on situation. So again, I break it up on first downs and then passing downs and standard downs. And I like to look at just different areas of the field. And something I noticed that really, really stood out inside the opponent's 35, Baylor has been really, really good on EPA per play, but they're like seventh or eighth in the big 12 on touchdown rate. And so they're making good plays once they get inside your 35, they're not finishing drives. Um, you saw it against West Virginia. They had the ball first and goal at the half-yard line and could not punch it in against a bad West Virginia defense. Yes, I'm sorry, West Virginia people. Your defense is bad, um, which is just crazy to me because their EPA numbers, they're, um, they're making good plays. They're just not getting in the end zone, and they're not finishing those drives. That is going to be a super interesting thing to look at because – TCU's weakness is they kick field goals when other people score touchdowns. If they can hold Baylor mm-hmm. some field goals, that might that might mitigate some of those offensive woes. For sure. And TCU has, um, I mean, they've also kind of held teams to field goals. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but at least field goals that stick out, especially against Texas kind of stopping Longhorns in the red zone. It's Oklahoma State, Matt Amendola, who, by the way, I think has been Oklahoma State's kicker since I was born. I don't remember where he wasn't. Um, he missed one last week, so... I, I don't know if 
I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but it feels like TCU can hold teams to field goals fairly often. They're, they're pretty good on finishing but, drives. And again, um, we're, we're a little bit deprived of that given Bill C., who's so organized. I have those numbers. They're nowhere near as organized as, as Bill Conley, so hard to look at some of those. RIP, but, Bill. We yeah. Miss yeah. Um, so other things I noticed in the open field. So again, uh, your own 25 to your opponent's 35, just kind of where, where you know offense is happening. Baylor is fifth in the nation in EPA per play. They're 16th in the nation in your traditional success rate. And then, uh, again, I do that that weighted on base percentage kind of stat that takes EPA times success. They're sixth in the nation um, with that weighted success rate in the open field. And so that's going to be really, really tough because defense is TCU's strong suit right now. They're still the second best defense in the conference, um, according to EPA. But if Baylor can stay on the field and move chunks of yards kind of in between the in between the 20s, proverbially, it's going to keep TCU's defense on the field and um, potentially play a really, really strong field position battle. Um, you can imagine that even if TCU can buckle down in the red zone, Baylor's still going to get the ball in positions to, to put TCU's offense backed up even when they fail. And I feel like that is going to be really, really put the onus on TCU's offense to make long drives and give Baylor the advantage of only needing to make short drives. For sure. And and bringing up field position, as much as it pains me to talk about uh, my favorite Australian son, Jordy Sandy, um, Gary Patterson is not happy with the punting game right now. Same, um, bro. So, you, <laughs> so uh, getting in a field position battle is not something that TCU necessarily wants to do. No, and I haven't, um, I haven't updated these numbers, but... TCU is uh, averaging – oh, frick, of course it's not loading. Okay, here we go. Baylor is averaging starting um, 71.3 yards away from the uh, away from the opponent goal line, and TCU is averaging uh, just under that, so 69.7, which, again, nice. Good job, Internet. Um, nice. But well so TCU, TCU and, and Baylor's field position on the season is basically the same, which given some of the things that TCU has done – field position-wise, um, that's, that's kind of interesting that there doesn't seem to be an obvious advantage there. And so I do wonder if success rate and sustained drives are going to influence that field position battle in a way that um, neither team has really experienced. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, and especially because, yeah, I mean, I, and I assume we're going to talk about the Baylor defense. Yes, that's but, where I was going. Um, yeah, well, lead us off then. Okay, so yeah, I was going to say, let's, let's look to the other side of the ball because your Baylor Bears, not, not your Baylor Bears, the Royal U, those people, mm-hmm. um, are first in the Big 12 in EPA defense. They are negative 0.17 expected points added per play, negative 0.27 on the rush, and then negative 0.07 on the pass. Again, that's early downs um, versus FBS. So the reason I like to do early downs there is it kind of strips away a lot of context that might um, confound how good a team is. We lose a little bit of information, but we get a little bit better signal. And so... Um, just kind of in the open field, lining up, you're trying to impose your strategy. Baylor is extremely disruptive, especially against the run. Um, I feel like that's going to be a little bit problematic, given that TCU doesn't have necessarily uh, a quarterback, potentially, who can who can do anything to punish Baylor for overcommitting to the run. Right, absolutely. Um, Baylor is missing their um, kind of... Really the best defensive player, I think, um, Clay Johnston, who had a knee injury, um, I believe it was against Oklahoma State um, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he is out for the rest of the season. Um, but they do have guys like 
uh, Blake Lynch at linebacker, James Lynch at defensive end. Um, these are guys that are extremely disruptive. I know James Lynch, uh, I believe, is uh, first in the Big 12 um, in sacks. I know he's ninth nationally with eight and a half sacks, um, has 17 in his career. Um, so in the passing game, he, he's a big force. And then they just have guys that are solid. Um, Raleigh Tejada, um, brother of noted TC cornerback, Ranthony Tejada at cornerback, is a great tackler. Um, Blake Lynch, extremely strong, like I said, at, uh, at, at Sam linebacker. Um, so, again, like I said about the offense, they really just don't have any weak spots to attack. And you kind of, I mean, you kind of see it in the stats you gave. They're good against the pass and the run. They, um, yeah, they, they, they are. Um, Baylor, first in the conference at Havoc Rate created. Havoc Rate is basically tackles for loss or tackles behind the line of scrimmage or for linebackers, tackles within two or three yards. Um, they're third in offensive success rate allowed. They are first in points per drive on scoring opportunities. They're first in points per drive. They're second in turnovers gained. They're first in points per play. They're first in yards per play. Um, Baylor's defense is is every bit that solid rock that their offense is. I will note, being a, a person who has watched one Baylor game this year, that nose tackle, oh my gosh. Ravion Roy, yep. That is a grown freaking man. I paused six one three thirty three. I paused it and called over to my wife and said, "You have to come see this dude. Holy cow! <laughs> Look at him. He is huge." And what's crazy is that like he was getting in the backfield and messing up Austin Kendall all night long. Um, mm-hmm. I will say Baylor's strength of schedule this season, uh, according this is my my friend KSU underscore fan on on Twitter does these charts where he kind of compiles these stats. Um, and Baylor is last in the Big 12 at strength of schedule. Of course, that makes sense. They haven't played OU yet, um, and their their off or their out of conference wasn't exactly daunting. Uh, it was awful, Parker. It, so it was. It was awful. Um, and so, I was kind of looking at that West Virginia game under the guise of what would you see here if there was something going wrong. And I'll say a lot of West Virginia's ineptitude against Baylor was due to the fact that Austin Kendall cannot get the ball anywhere he needs to. Um, which, again, is is encouraging in the sense that Baylor's defense succeeds because the offense couldn't make some plays, but then also disconcerts me because if we have a redshirt freshman walk-on playing, he might also, like Austin Kendall, not be quote-unquote good at quote-unquote playing quarterback. Sure. I, I believe Patterson described uh, Downing this week as a smart quarterback. Oh, well. Um, so that's that's really all we got. Uh, I'll, I'll say this about Roy also, looking at the Baylor media guide. Um, it just describes him, senior defensive tackle, one of the strongest players on the team. I like to think that's because they can't really measure him in human numbers. Um, so they're just going to have to guesstimate how strong he really <laughs> is. <laughs> the, the, the man's a beast, and, and that's the thing. is is They have guys at defensive line, guys at linebacker, Guys, a cornerback, and like you said, if it's a redshirt freshman um, walk on, and again, Matthew Downey could be really good. We have no idea. Right. Um, he could develop into a really good quarterback. Uh, we've just never seen him. Um, so it's not exactly the defense you want to go up against with your first collegiate snap. Again, if he plays and if, and if Duggan is out, right? Um, what I will say, if we're if we're looking for some optimism here. Um, I think Iowa State's defense is pound for pound as good as Baylor. Um, again, I'm filtering out FCS, and so I'm filtering out kind of them, them struggling. But they've shown, uh, especially in an EPA basis, 
they're they're second in the they're second in the league um, in terms of defensive EPA allowed, and so you saw that TCU had its moments where it could figure out Iowa State's offense, but I'm wor- or defense, but I'm worried that Baylor's experience and physicality is something that TCU hasn't seen all season. Um, and that's really, really worrisome, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You recall Baylor was among the leading Power 5 schools in production, returning production um, on offensive and defensive side of the ball, which um, you know is, is a really good way to kind of say, if you're good, how much better are you going to be? And I think uh, right. Baylor really, really benefited. You know, This is the third year of, of these guys playing, and when Rule showed up, Rule just kind of played guys and said, yep, you're a freshman, and you're going to be good at some point. You're not good now. We'll figure it out later. And that's really paying off. So I'm a little bit worried about the, the sheer physicality and then also the experience of the Baylor defense because I think that's really going to come in handy. Yeah, I mean, just looking at guys um, running down their starters on their depth chart for defense, senior, senior, junior, senior, sophomore, that's taken over the spot that Clay Johnston left, uh, senior, senior, junior, sophomore, senior, junior. Yep. Um, so they're experienced. Um, they have a lot of guys that have more than 10 starts um, on their roster, and all of them are pretty decent. So, uh, again, you, you mentioned it. I, I could go on and on about how much respect I have for Matt Rule, but I think the guy is an absolutely incredible football coach. Um, and if the Houston Texans would like to hire him, um, please do so. Yes, I think, I think he's uh, definitely definitely uh, qualified for larger, larger waters. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, Grant, let's do uh, one more little break and hear from our corporate overlords, and we'll come back and do um, a little bit of prediction and then answer a few questions. Let's do it. All right, uh, we're back. As always, go buy some new socks or a mattress or listen to American Ninja Warrior podcast or whatever. Um, I shut down forecast. I, I assume that helps us. Um, yeah, if you do listen to Shutdown Focus, tell them that the Stats War people sent you, and they will say, what's that? Um, or ignore you totally. <laughs> so, Grant, we've got Baylor here. We've got um, a weird Vegas line again. Baylor started plus one. I think they're plus two now. Uh, or TCU is plus two now. I think the money line moved across. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that works. Uh, give me your kind of best-case scenario for TCU, worst-case scenario, and then what you think is going to happen. I think best-case scenario is a lot like last year's game where TCU just muddles it up, and it's super weird. Baylor can't get into a rhythm. TCU runs a couple gadget plays. Rager gets free, and it's 17-10, to 10. Um, 13 to 8, some ungodly number, some score-gami, as John Boyce would put it, that hasn't ever happened before, like, I don't know, 11 to 9 or whatever. Um, realistically, I don't think it's going to happen. I think Baylor moves the ball pretty well, not – you know, I don't think they cracked 30, I would say. I'd probably put it around 27, 28. Um, but I don't think TCU – man, it, it, it's hard to say. <laughs> the more I think about it, it it's, it's kind of hard to predict what's going to happen, whether or not Duggan will play, whether Downing plays, whether whatever. It, aggregating everything together, I'd say 27-13 Baylor. I, I Honestly, and I don't mean to be depressing, but I think that's a two-score game. Yeah, I agree with that. I could also see something that was, you know, just rivalry and spite. Something that was like seventeen to six going into the fourth yeah, quarter. Something weird. TCU scores a touchdown, and then Baylor tacks on two more by the end of the fourth quarter. So I'm not rooting for that, but yeah. So I think I think best case scenario is TCU returns to the fundamentals. You think about um, 
what can we do with a quarterback who can't throw? How can we kind of, again, not can't throw, excuse me, an inexperienced quarterback. I'll be more charitable there. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we help him get the ball down the field? And I think those hitches and those crossing routes are important. I think little chunks of yards. And then when Baylor says, hey, maybe we should drop somebody to kind of cover this hitch, let Darius and Shawo run down their throats. That's fine. I'm all for the run when it's smartly used. So um, I think if we can be if we can be smart about uh, if we can be smart about getting the ball out, which they you know TC really was last year with the mule. If 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 we can pull something like that off again, I think this game is within striking distance. You make sure the defense clarifies some of those call issues we saw in Oklahoma State, and that that gives TCU a fighting chance. The other um, the other end of this is that there are a bunch of Baylor guys on this roster who haven't beaten TCU and have some pent-up mm-hmm. energy. And Matt Rule knows this would be the signature win and knows that this will kind of stop some doubting, and they come out super ready. Um, I'll be interested to see how the TCU defensive ends do because, again, they've been um, less than stellar this year, and I'm a little bit worried. Uh, I'd be worried if, if Baylor's line was at full strength. So I'm going to say it gets a little weird, but Baylor pulls away. I'm going to say Baylor stays in the 20s, but I'm going to go Baylor 28, TCU 16. Okay. I'm fine with that. And I will say, I mean, you are correct. Um, Patterson pointed out, uh, I think, at some point this week that uh, the reason TCU was so effective against Brewer last year was because they had a pass rush and the defensive ends made tackles. Yep. Uh, that hasn't happened this year. It really has not, man. I'm not. I don't want to put anyone on blast, but like yeah. Ross Blacklock it's, is uh, getting great grades every week. Corey Bethley is getting some pretty good grades every week, and the outside of that line, man, is just not. He's just having some, some troubles. It's tough. Um. Well, I hope that we're both wrong. Um, let's let's pivot. So we have a couple of questions um, that we can talk about. But first, I want to ask you a question because I ask a guest every time I have one, and I don't know technical difficulties. I may not have one this week, um, but I always ask the guest, "Who are your four playoff teams?" And I don't think we've checked in on that. So I'm going to ask you that question in two okay. ways. One, who do you think is going to make the playoff? And then two, what's the most fun playoff still alive? Okay. Um, who do I think is going to make the playoff is Clemson, um, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, and then, man, I, I'll say... That's tough, Parker. Kali, I know you're going to ask me that. I, I, I know I should have a canned answer as a as a supposed sports. It's more fun when it's uh, when it's when it's on the spot. It is okay. I'll say I'll say Ohio State, um, Clemson, Alabama, and give me Oregon, man. Oregon, interesting. I think Oregon wins out. I think Oklahoma drops the game to Baylor, but then wins the Big 12 championship game that keeps Baylor out of it. Oh, okay. And then I think Oregon runs the table in the Pac-12, um, and a conference champion gets in over, um, I, I guess, LSU. Man, I don't know. It's t- LSU not playing for their conference title game might be tough. But then again, that hasn't stopped the committee before. So I, I, I don't know. But that's my prediction. Interesting. Okay, what's the most fun playoffs you can think of? Okay, that would be LSU. God, I love Joe Burrow. Uh, Clemson. Oregon and Oklahoma. Okay, wrong answer. 
because you didn't put Wake Forest in there. <laughs> I forgot. Can't come in. Okay, Here's yeah, the right yeah, answer. Yeah, you Forest. were wrong. Here's the right answer. Wake Forest. You, Wait. Okay. Utah. Sorry. I, start over again. Minnesota. Minnesota. Utah. Minnesota. LSU. Wake Forest. Can't beat it. LSU wins by a thousand. <laughs> LSU puts up triple digits in both playoff games. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Okay. You're right. You're right. You're right. My bad. Um. Okay, so again, we, we don't have a ton of questions, but we'll knock some of these out here just because, you know, the fans talk. Uh, Brandon Powell Balate, who has math in his username, which is cool, I guess, um, asked if we would discuss my chart where I said, here's what's exactly wrong with the TCU offense. We did that. It was the negative game scripts, and so I just want to give him a shout-out uh, for, for talking about that. Um, and then we have Reed Graber. Reed Graber? Oh, yeah. Reed Graber? Has a great, a good, a good dog in his profile. That is a good dog. It's a great yeah. dog. Chewy is one of the best dogs I've ever met. He asked about injury stats, and um, that's something I normally throw away because we can't really do anything about that. But I think that's something people don't actually know about. Um, college football basically has no standards for reporting injury, and so getting any kind of consistent estimate of even who's out this weekend, let alone some kind of historical look at what they are, would basically require you to get everyone's roster, know who the starters were and then find evidence of them having an injury and then seeing if they played. Because college football, and this is why college football, I think, will never have like an all-22 sort of thing where it's like film publicly available. College football, with all the talent disparity, is all about competitive advantage. And injuries, especially because there aren't standards, are a way for you to mask player development, way for you to uh, obfuscate and confuse your opponent and um, and gain a little competitive edge. And so I don't think that there's ever going to be reliable enough data on injuries because one, a coach can say X person tore his ACL. He's not playing. And then next week that guy can play. So like what you, you can't do anything about that. So it it is a program by program thing. I think you can look at participation stats and just say this person's missed the last four games. Either he was smoking dope or he's hurt. Um, it kind of makes him a 50, 50, (laughs) um, it's 50, 50, but, uh, I'm going to put this as diplomatically as, as I can. I think it would be very hard to do that for TCU. Yeah, I definitely I definitely do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that uh, words mean things sometimes. Uh, is how yes, that. that's correct. Yeah. Cool. Okay, uh, Doug at Sugary Dude, which cool, it asked, what's the mean of Big 12 total offense and total defense? Uh, are the frogs outside of one standard deviation from those numbers? And um, so I don't, I don't have those offhand, uh, and I'll tell you why. I don't have those offhands because I don't look at total offense and total defense um, because those are very confusing numbers. They don't tell you anything about where a team started a drive and how much value they added on a drive. And so I'm moving very far away from those. I'm even moving away from like yards per carry um, or yards per, yards per passing attempt. And looking at more things like EPA again, success rate, also that's kind of situational breakdowns. So I don't really look at total defense uh, and total offense a lot because also that's really just going to tell you about pace more than anything else. Um, the second, the second thing on that, and the reason I bring it up, uh, I do those EPA charts. I just tweeted those out, kind of the EPA profiles for offenses and defenses in the Big Twelve. I have had multiple people ask me, how do I? If I can get an average, like a league average or a national average chart in there, I want to. 
I don't know how to do that yet, but I'm learning and I'm going to figure it out. So that's definitely a good point because we need this relative baseline of, of what is decent and is TCU above or below that. So definitely something that we should think about. I have nothing to add to that, so there you go. Cool. Those were numbers. Um, all right, Grant, before we get out of here, uh, what game besides TCU are you going to watch this weekend? Oh, LSU-Alabama. I, I won't be able to see in probably until the second half of it, but my eyes are going to be glued to that. I think it's going to be absolutely fascinating, I think. Um, I, For some reason, I've always had a soft spot for Alabama. I normally don't pull for like the powerhouses, I would say, but um, I, I really like Tua. Um, I think Jerry Judy might be the best college football player of all time you know it's hard to say um but i i think it's gonna be really interesting um and i think anyone that loves football should watch that game i think that'll definitely be a um definitely be a good one uh penn state minnesota is one i really really want to say that i'll watch but honestly i don't think that's gonna be a game at all the game i'm keeping my eye on though is can't minnesota win by 20 right yeah row the boat man I have like, dude, I had, I tweeted a graph a couple weeks ago and it, it blew up. It was pretty crazy. And I have like a hundred Minnesota followers. So if I tweet Minnesota stuff, I get likes out the, I'm, I'm rowing yeah. the boat, man. Uh, no, the game, the game I'm looking at is Kansas State, Texas. I feel like that'll tell us a lot about both teams. Texas gets some people back. Kansas State beat Oklahoma and then went on a bye week. If they win this, they're basically in the driver's seat to, uh, I guess they need a little help because they have two losses, but they could get to the Big 12 championship having OU and mm -hmm. Texas behind them, which is super interesting. Um, so I think that's a game to watch, especially going into Austin, because uh, maybe Tom Herman's scary season, and then also is Chris Kleiman the greatest FCS coach or just the greatest football coach of all time? Coach. We'll find out yeah. here. Uh, I, yeah, so. Um, okay, I think that's all we have. If you don't have anything else. No, I'm cool. good, Cool, that was a whole lot about Baylor, a whole lot about TCU. Um Get out to the Carter and be loud. Unfortunately, my friend hates me and is getting married this weekend, so I won't be at the game, but I will uh, do my best to be watching and following along. Follow Grant on Twitter at Grant McGalliard. See all of his work for TCU um, and uh, and for and for Sports Day, Sports News Day. I don't know. Something day. Something day. The Dallas Morning News. Dallas Morning Whatever News. Whatever it is. They're, they're also, hey, uh, I'll, I'll, a little sneak peek here. Uh, LaDainian Tomlinson's Artby Steakhouse. Uh, keep an eye out. I got something coming tomorrow. It's going to be some really hard-hitting journalism. I think you're all going to be very interested. In. How did we not lead with that? Jeez. Um, yeah. I, uh, and then follow me at Stats of War. Other than that, uh, we'll, we'll be back here next week talking about, hopefully, a TCU win. Bye, everybody.